This is a Care Chronicles podcast episode with Stephanie Lovell. Well, I mean, think about it. Growing up as a musician, if you took lessons, like the light, you know, the way to do music well, quote unquote, is is perfection. Oops, I made a mistake. Oh, keep going even though you made a mistake. And I think that's kind of built into a lot of our music space. And I think music therapists really um, rebel against that, honestly, because music is music, including the mistakes. You're listening to The Care Chronicles, a podcast about self-care, healthcare, and everything in between. I'm your host, Trisha Coyote. I'm a board-certified music therapist, and I'm currently pursuing my master's degree in mental health counseling. I'm also a creative, multi-passionate, nature-loving, many-water-sign forever student. Join me and guests on the show as we explore how we take care of ourselves and each other. Welcome back to the Care Chronicles. Thank you so much for being here today and choosing to spend some time on this little corner of the internet. Today's episode with Stephanie is a really great deep dive into, I'm going to say music theory, but I mean like the theory of why we connect with music, not music theory as in chord progressions and notes and key signatures and and all that kind of stuff. But why we connect with music, what we can do within music to create those connections with a combination of lyrics and instrumentation and layering, creating tension and release, all that kind of stuff. We had a wonderful conversation about that and I know you'll get a lot out of it. And then You can check out, if you haven't before, Stephanie's plethora of resources. She has courses, she has songs, she has books, she has created so much over the course of the past few years. And like I say in this episode, all of the things she creates are so accessible, so user-friendly, and so in-depth in a way that so far I have found very few other creators that um, I use their stuff so fr- so frequently because I get so much value of out of it clinically. Um, so yeah, if you've never heard of Stephanie before, you're probably not a music therapist. You might be new to the show, but Stephanie is an amazing musician and wonderful music therapy clinician. Obviously, all of her stuff will be linked below. Check it all out, and I hope you enjoy this episode. All right, Stephanie, welcome back to the newly entitled podcast. 
How are you? Thank you. Good. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to see you. I think you were like the first podcast I was ever on. <laughs> Probably. I was Yeah. looking it up. I it's episode you were on episode 40. Oh, nice. So that was like it feels like eons ago and it also feels like I was just talking to you and Exactly. um you were just like starting all of this really cool stuff. It was exciting. Since then you've like your business has grown so much. You have so many courses and songs and you have so much going on. Uh, it's been wonderful to watch your journey and also kind of be like, oh, I know Stephanie, we've talked and everything was so new then. And now she's just a pro having so much success. Well, same for you and your podcast. It's so cool to see how it's grown and it changed and expanded and it's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. So for anyone who doesn't know who you are, Um, who might be new to this show, because I'm sure any music therapist listening know who you are. But anyone else uh, listening, do you want to just introduce yourself? And it could be about what you do for work and also just about you in general. Sure. So my name is Stephanie Level. I'm a music therapist. Um, and recently I have been really trying to claim the the uh, songwriter thing. <laughs> so Yeah. I'm a songwriter. Um, and I think it took me a long time to do that because I, I didn't, I don't know, like when do you decide you're a songwriter? When do you decide you're good enough at something to say I'm that? Um, I think anybody who writes a song is a songwriter. So um, but anyway, so I've been doing a lot of children's music and writing children's music, recording children's music, recording um, courses and stuff for early childhood curriculum. And um, I own a company called Music for Kiddos that last time we talked was really in its beginning stages. And now we have a couple of employees and um, we do a lot of cool collaborations with people like Lori Berkner. And um, it has grown into a really fun and beautiful place and a great way for us to love and care for kids, you know, through that business is like, it's a pretty special thing for me. And um, so, yeah, that's what I'm doing now. Lots of curriculum, lots of writing of songs and um, um, also collaborating with others to get high quality music to kids. I love that last part because that's what I was thinking is the high quality part, because even from the very beginning, your music has always been so accessible and versatile in a way other specifically music therapy resources I found have not been because, because you have real instruments and you have the high quality recordings and now you have videos and so much more, but even like when you were just doing the songs, they were so much fun to use and so engaging for my clients, for my kids, because it, it was like real quality music. It was like what they would hear on the radio. It wasn't kind of just a, a put together, like something I could have made in GarageBand, you know? So for anyone who has not seen your stuff and the quality of your stuff, I would love to sing all the praises that it is amazing. And you also have such a wonderful variety of, um, what you're exploring in your music, like different emotional stuff and timbres and different rhythms. And you do such a great job of making the music you're creating versatile in a way that a true musician can appreciate it. And also in a way that keeps kids engaged because it's not the same four, four in the key of C with a similar melody and beat all the time. So um, yeah, everyone should check out all of your music if they have not already, because there's always something new to see. That's so nice. Thank you so much for saying that. You just like outlined a lot of the goals of what I what I aspire to do. So I really appreciate that. 
And yeah, I've been reflecting, we're almost six years into music for kiddos right now. And I've been kind of reflecting on what happened, you know, like what made this kind of work and, and grow and um, become what it has become. And when I really boil it down, it, I think it's the music, it's the songs. Mm. And maybe that's why I'm trying to claim songwriter a little bit more, because I think when it comes down to it, um, um, that is the thing that allowed it to kind of grow and, and, and start including other people and everything. It's just these, they're not, they're not complicated songs. They're just simple songs, I think, crafted in a very intentional way. You know, how a music therapist would write songs that I hope, you know, people would be able to use in music therapy or in a, in a classroom setting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, as you're saying that I'm thinking songwriter, yes, you're writing all of these songs, but you even do so much more than that. Like the amount of creative energy that you must put into all your things. Um, I remember once you said somewhere, and I could not tell you where that when you write on the harp, your songs always come out different than when you write music for your guitar. And yeah. <laughs> I remember listening to a couple of your songs. I was like, oh my gosh, it's like, it's so true. And you, you tailor your music intuitively or otherwise to whatever instrument you're incorporating, um, which is really great because the listener is getting a more authentic experience of what that musical instrument brings to the table. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that because right now I've been writing a lot of songs on the piano and I can't, and, and like, like they are different songs than what I write on my on my guitar. And because I all of a sudden have things like resonance instead of like this rhythmic kind of thing that exists on the guitar, kind of no matter what you do, because the sound dies, like I have the pedal. Yeah. And then on the harp, um, it, the sound really, really stays a really long time, but it kind of fades over time. I don't know. And, um, and I've been thinking about that a lot too, because um, I have, this new album that I released and and people tell me like, like on certain songs, like my, my voice sounds like a harp and things like that. Like, they're like, oh, it's so interesting that you grew up, you know, from a very young age playing the harp because your voice, it's almost like, I don't know, it's almost like that influenced how your voice developed, which I don't know if that's true at all, but I did listen to that timbre, you know, yeah. growing up a lot. And um, and I, so I've been reflecting a lot on that and all those different pieces and like, I don't know, I think if I had to say, I think that my brain is, um, kind of, uh, a unique brain when it comes to music and, um, it just really focuses on, it just really tunes into specific things. And I think that example of when I sit down and write a song on a different instrument, it sounds different is, is a good example of that. Yeah. So for someone else who is trying to claim the title of songwriter, or I know you have a, a new course on this, but for someone else who's like trying to get into the space of creating more of their own music to yeah. bring to the table, you know, advice, thoughts. Yeah, I think, well, like I said, you know, I, th I think about it like like painters, like, uh, like I don't hesitate to sit down and watercolor with my child, right? I know yeah. it is not going to be like professional level, yeah. right? And I, I wish that people approached songwriting a little bit more like that, where um, any kind of contribution you have, like 
like, I hope we don't judge that, you know, and we just let it be and let it exist. Um, but I think a lot of songwriting is beyond kind of learning the basics, but I'm literally talking like you can learn one little chord progression that you play in like fifths on a piano, yeah. you know, um, back and forth. Like you could be literally playing like three notes total in different kind of combinations to just give yourself a musical foundation. But beyond like kind of knowing kind of the basics to get started, um, I think it's just a matter of doing and trusting and not judging. Hmm. Yeah, that's something I need to hear all the time. I wonder mm. if, because I am not a visual artist, like, you know, painting and stuff, I do them for fun, like you said, but I wonder mm -hmm. if visual artists feel like everything they create has to be a masterpiece, the way we as musicians feel that everything we create has to be a masterpiece. <sighs> I wonder if that's I hope like, not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wonder <laughs> if that's like a musician thing. Right. Or if that's just an artist thing. Well, I mean, think about it. Growing up as a musician, if you took lessons, like mm -hmm. the light, you know, the way to do music well, quote unquote, is is perfection. Yeah. Oops, I made a mistake. Oh, yeah. keep going, even though you made a mistake. And I think that's kind of built into a lot of our music space. And I think music therapists really um, rebel against that, honestly, mm -hmm. because music is music, including the mistakes. Um, and so I found myself when I had a period of, of life where I was teaching a lot of private students the harp. And um, I found myself just constantly talking about like, like, music is mostly mistakes, especially as you're learning, like, like the likelihood that we make it through like a four minute piece of music without a mistake. That's like, it almost never happens. And so music really is built around kind of mistakes. And it's almost like, what do you do with it? And um, some of the most like brilliant, masterful musicians I know, I mean, think of jazz, like they take kind of these strange notes. They say, if you make a mistake, like play it like three more times and it sounds like you did it on purpose, right? Mm -hmm. But like so many of the musicians that I know that are so, so good, they just kind of take those in stride and run with them. Yeah. I wonder if it's also challenging because as like a traditional classically trained musician, we are always recreating something that already exists. Yes. And oh so, my gosh. so then good. to be like, I want to create a song. Where do I begin? Like we were not taught that. <laughs> right. And we're, and as like, if we're playing classical music, we're playing, you know, in many cases, music that has been around for eons, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. like it's so long. So it's the music that lasted you know, it's the greatest hits of mm. all the other music that was created. And so again, we just can't judge it. Um, and even like, I think back to my old recordings and everything and, um, and I judge them when I listen to them and I'm just trying really hard not to, because I would rather it be like a picture and a glimpse, like a mm. snapshot of, of, of time. And, um, and I can, think back to it and and think back to the meaning behind the song and the feeling behind the song and remembering the process of recording it and everything and and reflecting on you know how much maybe I've grown instead of judging that yeah I feel that way with this podcast oh yeah same <laughs> I'm sure with my I, podcast yeah, yeah. To our old conversation I'd be like oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> but yeah yeah well said um and definitely I will keep all of that in mind the next time I am I am creating 
some recorded music or just music for myself in general. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so since the last time we talked, you have started a podcast too. And it's it's been a while. Has it been two or three years since you? I think it's been a couple of years now. Yeah, yeah, we're almost up to our 100th episode. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's a, oh man, Trisha, running a podcast is a lot of work. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I don't think people realize. I definitely didn't realize. And my podcast is only like 20 minutes, you know, most weeks. So, yeah. But you're obviously keeping up with it. So what what has that brought into your life and into your business to make you keep wanting to do it? Because it's oh, the yeah. whole beast in itself. Yes, it really is. It's a big thing. I, I love the creative outlet of the podcast. Mm -hmm. I feel like because it reaches like a smaller and more focused audience. I, that's like a place where I can be um, a little less filtered, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, whereas like on social media, it can be shared and sent out to a lot of people and so can the podcast, but it's just kind of, kind of a more, it's like my, my friends are listening mm -hmm. to the podcast, you know, my community. Um, and uh, I think that people, the feedback that I've heard is that people feel like they know me after they listen to the podcast for a while. Mm -hmm. And so it just, it just builds, it's like a connector. It's so strange. There's no video, there's no anything happening here, but it still serves as such a connection point. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, well, I am not running, I guess I'll, I was gonna say, I'm not running like a whole side business on top of that, but I do have like courses and stuff. So I guess that's not true. <laughs> but, um, yeah, doing the podcast, I also love being able to connect with people. I have not been to a conference since I started my show just because of the pandemic and I didn't get to one this year because life. Sure. So um, I haven't had the opportunity to like meet a large body of people in person since starting my show, but when guests become, or let me try again, when listeners become guests, they usually come up on, on Zoom or whatever. And they're like, I feel like I know you. And I listen to yeah. you and I make the same reaction, uh, which is great because it makes it easier for me because I'm not trying to like make someone comfortable with me. They already kind of know me. Right. <laughs> if that makes right. sense. Or if they yes. don't know me, they can listen to a couple episodes and get an idea of who the heck I am and yeah. what my style is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is great to to meet people, having them already comfortable and feeling like they have that connection because then you can just get into more like conversation and talk about um just just deeper things and you know, hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. That like very surface level but like very initial, I guess is the word, networking yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's been so rewarding. And then to hear stories about professors assigning episodes as college mm -hmm. coursework or people <laughs> getting internship hours for listening to the show and knowing that it's not only giving people value in you know I'm just looking for something to listen to in the car or I just want a little bit of advice on xy topic but for someone to say like this has enough value for it to be part of training yes. for the next generation of professionals and your show is definitely one that I would say has to be doing that somewhere. I don't know if anyone's told you that, but like you have so much awesome information packed into your episodes that I know people are getting so much out of that, whether they're claiming it for credit somewhere or not. No, thank you. That's so awesome. Yeah. I, I love that a lot of the place where you can find music therapists is driving in the car between clients mm -hmm. and in that space of like, okay, what, 
what did we just do at you know session number one today and then what are we going to do at session number two and i just like the idea of being a passenger in the car you know and being with music therapists in that space um and usually that like creative space as well and so i like to include a lot of um practical resources and ideas and encouragement in the podcast um just as people are doing their kind of regular ordinary day yeah yeah and I would say you're definitely accomplishing that. And I also even listen to your songs on my own, sometimes in the car, or I listen to um, a lot of your songs when I need to de-stress, like even oh, as nice. an adult, just like <laughs> the combination of your voice and the way you do music, like made to bloom, breathe. Those are two of my favorite go-tos um, when I'm in the car and I'm like, I need to decompress. That's, <laughs> That's awesome. Like, yeah. Yeah. So you have lots of usable stuff out there for sure. For sure. <laughs> Thanks. One of the interesting things that has come out of this album that kind of surprised me um, is that a lot of people are really connecting with two songs in particular. One, one is called Slow Down. And then the other one is called If You Need to Cry. And they're back to back on the album. And um, they're kind of the two two songs that I wrote on there that I kind of snuck in there for i see i hesitate for i say for adults for myself for but what a lot of people have told me is like for for people's inner child so kind of like like for the adults like for the parents for the therapists um kind of speaking to an inner child and that's been a really fascinating beautiful interesting experience to hear people will reach out to me and kind of share that this these you know particularly these two songs kind of surprised them and they're like message messages that they wished that an adult had told them when they were young um permission to cry for example um permission to feel feelings uh validation of feeling you know big and strong feelings and all of that um and that's been a really interesting piece of of this album as well that it kind of caught me off guard honestly yeah isn't it serendipitous how that happens yes where yeah those things are like oh this is an afterthought or an extra or it wasn't my main focus but it becomes yeah. the main focus and that that plays into I'll try to make this thought as clear as possible <laughs> your music like you're saying you, you were kind of maybe gearing it towards adults it's so accessible for kids and for adults and so when I bring your music into my kids and I share with them, like, this is one of my favorite songs, or this is a song I listen to when your songs give me the ability to share like my personal music mm. in a way that's not them having to listen to stuff from the nineties, mm. you know, they don't mm -hmm. immediately hear it and say, this is old or not <laughs> jazz. Like it is accessible to them too. And so it's creating this connector of this human element where like I'm a person I have these emotions just like I see you as the student have these emotions and here's a place where we can come together um and experience that so I hope that made sense that makes um, perfect sense and I nobody's ever described it quite like that before and I love that and I was thinking about as you were talking about that I was thinking about like what is it about you know so I, I'm like always interested in like why like music we music like what is it that makes music impactful and meaningful and 
I wonder if some of that, you know, I was talking about the messages is that, that kind of the lyrics are, are simple um, mm. because they're kind of, they're, they're written so that kids can really understand them. And so they're not very cryptic. They're just, they just kind of say things as they are, you know, whereas a lot of like the kind of deep adult music that we all listen to has like all of these different interpretations and everything in it. And I think that, that with the children's music, some of the messages um, are maybe a little bit more concrete or straightforward. Um, and so it is an interesting space where where kids can meet and adults can get go there as well. Mm. Um, so that's really, really interesting. And I will say it's also interesting to me because one of the reasons why I, I wrote adult music for a really long time and I had a really hard time sharing it. And when I started writing music for kids, it was easier for me to write lyrics um, because the judgment was kind of away on the lyrics. I didn't feel like they had to be like so profound, you know, I felt like they could be, they could just be simple and honest and straightforward. And so I wonder if there's an element of that where lyrically um, it's a, a, there is that accessibility lyrically. Yeah. I'm thinking definitely the lyrics, but I'm also thinking as a musician, how do I explain this? Like the depth of the sound of just like the actual music, not even any words is so much more than some kids songs. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. you get like the very generic, like xylophone sound or jingling sound, or like, just like the sounds are kind of like high pitchy and like kind of kitschy. I don't know how to explain that, but you, you, you have instruments layered in a way that is so deep. And it's reminding me of the last time Julianne was on the show. So I will link this. She had brought in Phantom of the Opera to a client. And that was the first music that that client connected with because it was so emotional and so deep Mm. for the first time they had something they could actually latch onto. Um, So I'm wondering if that's part of it too, is that you, your lyrics are, are simple and accessible, but the music is, can create so much emotion that the two together um are just bringing so many people in that's so cool yeah Yeah. that's another thing like you described kind of what I what I aspire to do I try really carefully like um to match the lyrics to the music in a really really big way Mm -hmm. sometimes it's just an individual word like you'll hear in the album um there the word confused is in one of the songs and there's this little thing in the background or the mandolin does this kind of like confused sound and the percussion does this kind of confused sound so sometimes it can be really um like clear and obvious and like one word sometimes it's like one line or sometimes it's just the overall you know like you said like kind of the depth of like um the song for example i mean the best example of this probably in a more abstract kind of way is the song if you need to cry um feeling a certain kind of like ooh, uh intensity and um not intensity it's like it's like holding space yeah in and and also you know depth and permission to kind of feel feelings there and the the reason that you know that even came into place was because of a Nor- the nordoff robbins um 
you know, if you need to cry, just cry. It's a, it's a, it's kind of an ode to that, that little uh, Nordoff Robbins song that really, really touched me the first time I heard it. It's also in the past, I've talked about this, but it's been a while. Um, I'm thinking specifically about like relaxation songs that I've tried mm-hmm. to use before pre-recorded specifically where the music is at odds with the lyrics mm. where, so there's moments where there's you're saying like tense your muscles and then relax, but the music is not tensing and relaxing. Uh, and right. so like I, as a musician can take that, play it myself and make those changes and like that's that's part of the game, right? Is not everything right. can be exactly the way I want it as a clinician, but you have already done that in your music. Mm. So I, as the clinician, can like sit back, use your recorded songs and focus on other things or just be more accessible in my classroom in different ways. Um, so anyway, I was thinking of that, but I'm going to make cool. a note about that Nordoff Robbins song. That's what makes, um, makes music so cool is that there are a lot of ways, for example, to add tension and release, tension mm-hmm. and release, tension and release. And it can be super obvious or it can be really, really subtle in the back. And I think that there are opportunities like with with cadences and extensions and like different interesting notes and stuff in there, um, harmonies and things like that. There are ways where you can decide this is going to be kind of like front and center or this is just going to feel feel a certain way and maybe a musician would be able to identify um oh i know why this makes me feel a certain way but probably not a four-year-old you know um so so it's like embedding that communication or that empathy or you know that tension and release or the little bit of extra space to add anticipation um, and all of those little elements, when you add them together and you stack them together, when you do something reinforcing in music and it happens like 50 times in a song, meaning like 50 different little things are happening, that's where the music can feel um, can feel next level and different. Mm-hmm. You know, it can feel really, really different. You can't always identify why, but I always say like, like I get the comment of like, I don't understand. I, I bring your song. I bring your song to my classes and like every time kids, kids love it. I don't understand. It doesn't matter what class it is. This, you know, I have a few, you know, particular songs that people come back and they say, what is it about this song that makes it so effective? And they're, they're kind of like asking. And I say, usually I can tell you, you know, it's that buildup of anticipation, it's a little bit of extra space. That's it's this unexpected kind of element that shows up. It's this tension and release it's cadences. It's, it's the quality of the, like the timbre, the quality of the sound and everything like that, all working together. And that ties so beautifully back to our first point about all the music you make doesn't have to be wonderful because yeah. through experimenting with those tiny elements, which on their own are just, you know, small watercolor paintings. Yes. When you start to put them together is when the masterpiece comes, but you have to like let yourself be free to experiment first. Oh yeah, you have to. And the whole reason why I think I'm able to write these songs is because I've spent, you know, hours and hours and hours and hours and hours in front of kids watching, like when I do this, like, what's the reaction, you know, what's the response. And, um, and if I hadn't tried things earlier and I'm still constantly trying things with kids and just so curious about, you know, kids and music, but remember my, I mean, it goes way back to my training and my internship supervisor, 
encouraging me to take risks in music. And did they flop? Yeah, sometimes they completely flopped, but that is just part of the process. And do my songs like flop? Yeah. Like I have so many, I have like thousands of songs in my voice memos I will never use, you know, like um, sometimes it's just like you have to take the risk and you have to be patient and kind of have this like space of not knowing what's going to happen next so that you can then respond in the moment in music therapy so that you can like, like give the client an opportunity to make their contribution, you know, all of that. Yeah. I know maybe this has changed, but in the past, you've said you're an improvisational music therapist. Mm -hmm. I also consider myself an improvisational music therapist. And I don't think any one mentality is better or worse than the other. But when, when I see people who are not improv based and that is such, they weren't trained in it or they like, aren't sure they haven't been given the opportunity to take a risk with supervision and fail or succeed. Yeah. I I just want to like cradle them and be like, you can, you can do it. Like, I am so grateful. I got to do all that in my training um, because I find that that translates to so many other parts of my life and other Mm. parts of my job Mm -hmm. to be able to like think creatively on my toes and try things and see what's working and what's not working. And I think that that in combination with being a musician in general helps me notice the patterns to decide what to do next time, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And kids, uh, I mean, that's why I love working with kids, because when you do leave that space in kind of an improvisational way, um, they are going to give you the next steps, you know, and I love, love that space. And then that builds trust with kids as well and confidence, because whatever they just did, whether it's funny, you know, it could be as simple as just hitting a drum, you know, and and then you reinforcing that with music. Right. Um but that contribution that they gave, you can reinforce that with music. You can, you're basically giving them a high five, you know? Um, you're basically telling them like, you're really awesome. You have a lot to contribute and I love your ideas. You know, what a great thing for a kid to get in music. Um, what was I gonna say? I was gonna say something we were talking about. Oh, one of the things that's really interesting to me too that I have reflected a lot on in the last couple of years is yes, I am an improvisational music therapist. And if you see me use my songs, they are never the same mm-hmm. when I do them with kids. Um, so even the songs that I write and that I record, um, when I am actually doing them live, um, they are very, very, very different because I'm always taking them in a new direction. I'm always trying something new, always noticing something and you know, and making some kind of change. I'm experimenting with things like tempo and starts and stops and speeding up and silliness. And like, it's just kind of constant crafting of this like improvisational experience. And so I have to say like one of the hardest things I've done in the last couple of years is try to figure out how to take these songs that in my mind are like pieces of ideas Mm -hmm. and not really songs, you know, they're just like, like, maybe I'll do this next, or maybe I'll do this next. Like, like here's an idea for a B section, you know, and try and figure out how to record them because some people do like to use recorded music so that they can, you know, um, have their hands available to use so that they can give their voice a break if they're singing eight hours a day, you know, things like that. 
there are really legitimate reasons why in music therapy and in music education, um, recorded music can make sense. Mm -hmm. And, um, at times, you know, um, and I still like I, I say at times because I still think that live music because of the flexibility and stuff is 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 our best option available many times. Um, but yeah, figuring out how to record that is really, really hard. And me having to commit to what am I actually going to do this time, <laughs> even while I'm recording guitar and stuff, I want to just go off and play something different. Um, so that's been an interesting experiment. It's like, how do I try and bring that, that feeling of live music to a recorded piece of music as well? Mm. But I also think it's cool that, like you said, when you perform, you're doing the opposite. You're coming out of that um, recorded space. And in that way, you're inviting your live audience to join you in the music. Yeah. That's one of the things I love about music therapy is, you know, I... I am not a performance-based person. It's not for me, me but I love yeah. inviting people into the music with me. Mm -hmm. um, and so by adapting to them, like they might not even realize that they're part of the music until suddenly <laughs> they're like, exactly. wait, this isn't what I'm used to. And then, you know, yeah. Yeah. Even if that's the only thing, if they, even if only their reaction is this is different, they're suddenly more engaged than if it had right. just played the way they're used to. Yeah. Yeah, the sense of surprise is really an effective tool, um, especially with kids. It's like all of a sudden, you know, you get their eyes. You know, you do something kind of different. You change, change, give them something that they maybe weren't expecting. You do something silly. You add even just like an extra beat in there. A kid won't know like necessarily why that feels a little off or different, but you will often get their eyes looking at you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I love all that. So many good tidbits in there. Is there anything you wanted to touch on before we do the rapid fire? No, I don't think so. All right. Okay. So most of the questions are the same, but some of them have changed. We'll see okay. if your answers have. Okay. First one is coffee or tea? Tea, green tea. <laughs> very specific. Yes. It gives me like a, um, I'm really sensitive to food and everything. I have some health issues that make me like hypersensitive to food. So I can't do coffee. Um, and green tea makes me bounce off the walls for like 12 hours. It's so funny. <laughs> Hair. Have you tried like different green teas, like Jasmine versus gunpowder green? Yes. Versus... Yes. Yeah. It's all pretty much the same caffeine wise uh, for me, but I love Jasmine tea. Yeah. That's my preferred one too. Nice. Yeah. Early bird or night owl? A uh, night owl, absolutely. It's when my brain works the best. Mm -hmm. huh. Did not see that coming. Your favorite way to take care of yourself? Um, hundred percent acupuncture. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a total acupuncture skeptic uh, for a while. I don't know why, because there's like really good research that supports it and everything. But for myself, I just, you know, I didn't really like needles. I was an acupuncture skeptic. And um, when I actually worked in a children's hospital, my boss got me a session as a gift once. Oh. And I was like, oh, no, now I have to go <laughs> because my boss gave it to me and she's going to ask how it was. And it was life changing. It was so good. Um, it, I was experiencing a lot of sciatica when I was pregnant and it just took away a month's worth of pain in one session. It was incredible. And so now that's my go-to self-care is, um, you know, ideally if I can get acupuncture like every two weeks, 
my brain works more clearly. I sleep more soundly. I'm my anxiety is less. Um, and it's a, it's a powerful thing for me. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. That's something I have not tried, but it's like, I don't want to say on my bucket list because that's the wrong thing, <laughs> like mentality for it, but it's on my list of things I'm interested in. I'm encouraged. How. Yeah. I'd encourage, yeah. I've had a few friends that I have encouraged to go to acupuncture and they report back. They're like, wow, this is, this is, uh, you know, if you find, I think it's important to find a really experienced acupuncturist who does it all day long. Like mm -hmm. if this is their thing, they do all day long. And I think that's the difference between, you know, um, like, like people who do it, you know, as part of chiropractic care and stuff, it's different experience. And if you do somebody who does full body acupuncture all day long. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. That makes sense. What's your favorite way to take care of others? Food. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love to cook for people. Um, that's my love language. If you are, um, going on a road trip and you're a family member, you have snacks. <laughs> love that. As a person who gets hangry, I would very much appreciate someone nice. like that in my life. Oh yeah. We should be neighbors. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm always the person with food and I'm like, I will not share because it, it like, this is what's going to get me through the car ride and there's not right. enough to share. Exactly. Yep. I get that. Something that's currently adding value to your life. Mm, friendships. I would say friendships and community. I realized during the pandemic how much I needed that because I'm very introverted and I could get, I, 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 I falsely think that I am really happy being alone in my house. Mm. And um, over time, I've learned that I actually do really need that social interaction and that friendship. And I have to make an effort to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Something you'd tell your younger self. Mm. I, that's funny. I remember this answer and it's this exact same one that popped in my head. You don't have to rush through life. You don't have to do all of the things. Um, you do not have to like, be the best at everything you do <laughs> you don't have to like uh conquer i don't know college for example like i remember one semester i took like 18 credits or you know and an online course so i was up to like 21 credits because i was trying to like get done why why um you know i think that that for me i'm constantly striving to do things i just have lots of ideas and I always want to do more and more and more and more and more. And um, I just keep reminding myself, it's not a race. Um, like, even if you have a million ideas that you want to do, like there's a lot of value in having space in your life. Yeah. Yeah, well said. All right, this one's a toughie. Please okay. reintroduce yourself without using any words or terms that describe how you care for others. So nothing like mother, teacher, uh, caregiver, just introduce you. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. My name is Stephanie Level and I am a feeler and a deep thinker and a creative. And I think that's it. <laughs> I think that's all I can, because here I go. I love that question, because here I go being like, and I love, you know, 
doing things for others. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Last question is where can the listeners find you and connect with you? The best way to connect with us is via our email list. We provide um, a lot of free resources on our email list. Um, we have our song of the month club. So I record, write and record a song once a month that you are welcome to use in your programs, in your music therapy sessions. Um, so I send that out and um, yeah, I own all of my music. So people ask me all the time, can I use your song here? Yeah, absolutely. That's why I make them. You can use them in your, in your schools and you don't have to worry about licensing them. I own them all. I'm giving you permission. It's all good. And um, so song of the month club is a great place at musicforkiddos.com. Um, and then also probably the place where I am on the internet the most is Instagram. I will have that all linked so people can find you and all your amazing resources. Thank you for making the time to come back on the show uh, and update us on everything. And I really appreciated this like deep dive into like the theoretics of music. Yeah. Thank you so much, Richa. It's great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into this conversation. I hope you got a lot out of it too. I loved at the end when Stephanie said she's a deep thinker because I always really appreciate a podcast episode where I can really get meta with the guests and just share my thoughts about how things are interconnected and why things happen the way they do and we're able to just kind of ponder these things and then take those questions often without answers, take those questions with us into life and see if we find any of those answers. So if you have some questions in your head after listening to this episode, drop them in a comment on our, our social media. You can find us at care-chronicles on all the platforms. I'd love to hear what you're learning, experimenting with, what you got out of this episode please consider sharing it with a friend and also tag us online so I can hear what you're getting from this podcast. I know Stephanie and I touched on what it's like running a show and getting value out of connecting with the listeners. Sometimes, truthfully, it can feel like I am just talking into the void. I can see that people listen every week, but it isn't always a two-way conversation between myself and the guest, but not always between myself and the listeners. So, Thank you, dear listener, for being here. Join the conversation. Reach out to me. And if you or someone you know wants to be on the show, you can send me an email at hello at care-chronicles.com. Until next time, take care of yourself and take care of each other. Bye.